But I don't, I really don't have any regrets. I really don't. I've, I've lived exactly how I've wanted to. I've tried my hardest every single time. I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won. Or, but I really gave it my all. So that for me is enough. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. We are here with our WTA year-end show for 2022. We are finishing season eight of The Body Serve. You said you were James already? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we got that out of the way. Before we get into the tennis, all the stuff that happened this year, we are now officially launching our third ever GoFundMe campaign exactly a year to the day since we launched our last one. Oh, I did not realize that. That's pretty cool. So thank you to those of you who've donated already. I know that before we launched this latest campaign, you were very keen on restating what our mission statement is, like what the show is, what it's about. Yeah, starting the GoFundMe again kind of allowed me to think about what we are doing, what we always wanted to do, why we started this podcast. And it's because we saw gaps in the way the tennis was being discussed online and on TV, of course, and wanted to give you a biased, like honestly biased take on tennis, on the power relations that exist in and around tennis, to acknowledge that politics exists everywhere, not just in elections, in political parties, that there's so much that goes into what actually happens on court, that where we find the most interest is what's happening outside of it. What are the conditions that allow these players to excel, that allow these countries to get tournaments, that determine how prize money is distributed, how TV rights are given out. Or specifically how there is a relationship between what happens on court and off court. Because often when people are fans of sport, people are talking about sport, they want to just focus on what's happening on the court, on the field, and pretend like there aren't things that affect how that plays out. Yeah, so we've always tried to be the anti-shut-up-and-dribble podcast. The, you know, if you want analysis of shots and decision-making on court, there are plenty of people doing that well. That's something we're less interested in. There's the the whole whataboutism that's so rampant in the world right now, whereby you can't call out something or acknowledge some ill that's going on without somebody saying, well, what about when this happened with that person? You didn't say it then. And I think we need to move toward, instead of a what about type of life, an and life. An imp like the improv philosophy? Yes, and. Yes, and. <laughs> yeah, I think where I've moved closer to is yeah, you can be a fan of this person and also criticize them, and it's not equivalent to canceling them. Sure, but there's always been an element, too, of, well, if I go down that route, do I then have to turn the lens toward me and what that yes, says about me? of course. And so there's a level of comfort in the discomfort that's needed <laughs> to have these conversations, which is why we are biased and tell you about our biases. Right. Uh, after all these years, we we don't pursue sponsorships, partnerships with brands or important people in the sport. And most of that, mo if not all, 
is by design. I mean, this is not to say that we are we are one hundred percent without conflict. No, but our goal. But we don't work in tennis. We we have friends in tennis.、Right. We don't have any financial interest, and so that's that's been pretty important to me. Our financial interests are really to you all, to the people who donate to the show and want us to to keep doing what we're doing. But for me, if I had to kind of compromise what I said or the topics that I covered, if if I felt uncomfortable talking about the issue of trans women in sport, I don't think I want to do the show anymore. To me, it's just it's not worth it. I feel like folks who have listened to us for a while know this. I think this was. Maybe for new listeners and also for yourself. Yes, I think you needed the reminder too for yourself. <laughs> so not to belabor the point and delay the actual WTA wrap, but all that is to say, here's what we've been doing for eight years. We've evolved, but I I think we've stuck to the original values that that made us want to do this podcast. So these are these are tough times. If you cannot donate or do not want to donate. That is, as always, totally okay. If you've gotten to a point where you're like, "Fuck those holes," you know that's fine too. Right, <laughs> uh, you know, a really aggressive unfollow. <laughs> <Ooh> . To donate, you can find the、uh, campaign at linktree.com/slash/thebodyserve. This is where, in any other podcast, there would be a segue to a, a music thing, and then. Oh, should we do a cold open, like the good fight? <laughs> and then Meghan Markle will come in and say, "Let's begin." Man, Meghan is really good at this. She brought all of her acting training to these podcasts, and I really enjoy it. Let's talk about. I don't. I don't have the warm tones. I don't think that Meghan has.、Mm-hmm. Who does? But let's talk about WTA tennis this year. What a crazy year! And that can be said about any of the seasons we've covered. I'm sure. I think there were three distinct moments in the year that changed the outlook of the WTA, either in the present tense, in the right now, and in the future and the history of it. Ash Barty winning the Australian Open and then retiring in. The spring, early spring, retiring at 25 years old as the world number one, Iga Swiatek going on a 37 match win streak right thereafter to just shut down all challengers, and then Serena Williams retiring from the sport in the fall, spring, summer, September,、mm-hmm. fall, <laughs> joggers. So those were your inflection points, the points where you feel the season or possibly the future. Of the WTA changed. Yes, I I agree. I I might have even forgotten about Serena because she had played so few matches this year, and she wasn't really a threat on tour. But Serena Williams leaving the game is the end of an era. She didn't pass the torch to anyone, so to speak. But you can see hundreds of of young women who grew up watching Serena in Venus. Mm-hmm. I have a question specifically for you that I've written, handwritten on my agenda. Okay. To do with Serena that I'm going to pose to you later on. So、oh. let's let's hold on to some <laughs> of that. All right. The slams this year. I we have six pages of notes here. We're not going to go through in detail everything that happened this year, but let's talk about the big titles. 
Barty winning the Australian, Sviantec at Roland Garros after the 2020 title, Rybakina shocking everybody at Wimbledon, and then Iga Sviantec playing the U.S. Open and winning not at her best. I mean, did Rybakina shock people? We both had her as well, a breakout candidate. I guess at this point, like, nothing is shocking. It was just a very unusual Wimbledon with unusual semifinalists. No points. Well, yeah. Uh, at that point, people expected Simona to win. Right. right. Caroline Garcia's renaissance, I would say, is another, like, minor inflection point of the year. I don't think it changed history, but it was ended up being a huge story for the second half of the year. She won the WTA finals. I think that's... Overselling it? To a great degree. You know I love <laughs> Caroline Garcia. But when you look at the year with the other three stories, I feel like, while great, it's like a, a, a sub-bullet point. Sure. Well, that's why I said minor. Iga Sviantec is putting in the work all over the tour. Right? She is not just a slam player. She is doing what the WTA wants and needs. And she's winning titles on tour at the 1,000 level, at the 500 level. She's repping her home country in Warsaw. Iga finished the year with eight titles overall, two of them at the Grand Slam level. But she started off this amazing streak at Doha, the 500, wins the Sunshine Double, wins Rome, Roland Garros has a bit of a, a the slightest tiniest dip on grass and into the summer and gets right back into it winning the US Open. The Sunshine Double was stamping her authority in a way that we haven't seen before from her I feel. Right. Because yes, we've seen her dominate on clay. We've seen her play well on hard courts. But to then win these two North American hardcourt WTA 1000s back-to-back spanning the entirety of March and then go on to have success on clay in the spring and then with all the expectation after the huge win streak still win Roland Garros? That was a boss, boss achievement. Right. When Ash retired in March, Ego was number two. She was set to inherit the number one ranking by default, you have Ash saying, oh, Iga's a great gal. She's so deserving of it. And of course, there's, there's always going to be like whispers and hateration about, oh, she's only number one because the other girl retired. And Iga was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And kept winning <laughs> and announcing to the WTA that, yes, worry not. This is a peaceful transition of power. You have a dominant world number one. She's just a different person now. Let's talk about some of the major stories that dominated this season. We have, of course, Iga's dominance as number one, which is the biggest story. But then you have a crop of players from two to eight as they finish the season who had really good years. Ons Jabeur busting out, making the finals at Wimbledon and the US Open, winning Madrid... And this is after she was probably the favorite to win, or at least one of the top two favorites to win the French Open, but ended up losing in the first round. <laughs> Feasibly, Angebor could have had three finals appearances at slams yep. this year. She won her first 500 level title, won her first 1000 level, breaks into the top five, finishing this year at number two. Just so much like steady progress from her and really establishing herself as that number two. 
And the thing with this era, which is another one of the big stories, is that there is a lot of instability from anywhere from two to number 20, right? There was two (laughs) to number 40, right? There was a period late, late in the qualification process where over 20 players could have still qualified for the WTA finals. The other steady Peggy, I mean, steady Eddie on the year was (laughs) Jessica Pagulo. Indeed. Right. She's what she finished at number or she qualified at number three into the WTA finals. Finished at number three, made three quarterfinals at the slams, won the last WTA 1000 in Guadalajara, made another final at that level. She was there or thereabouts every damn week this year. And then you have Maria Sakari, Arena Sabalenka, of course, Elena Robakina, Barbora Krejcikova, who wasn't part of the conversation but started the year in the top two, and then kind of came storming back at the tail end of the year. What I like about this WTA season, and it's reflected in the top eight in the year in rankings, in the in most concentration, but it's been the case throughout the season right down to like number 50. So many women have had their moments. Madison Keys made the semis at the Australian Open. You know, who even remembers that? Because there've been so many women who've done something this year. But when I look at this top 8, I say Sviantek just adding room upon room to the penthouse of the WTA. There right. Extensions being built all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> She's got more than double the points of Anshabur. Mm-hmm. She's got about $10 million in prize money. Jabour has continued her firsts. She's mm-hmm. continued to build on this legendary career, this trailblazing career. So much so that we're seeing players like Maya Sharif winning this season as well. Pegula. Then we have Caroline Garcia, who had one of the most spectacular second halves to a season that in recent memory. I mean, Contivate had one last year too, but, you know, came out of nowhere to finish the year number four and win the WTA finals. Sabalenka, who could barely serve. I was listening back to one of our episodes from early in the year in preparation for this, and we were just stunned (laughs) that at some point in the spring, Sabalenka won a match without hitting a double fault. Like it was Mm -hmm. so unbelievable that that could happen. Starting the year hitting 20 double faults in a match. And then to, to have her reemergence at the end of the year as well. Zachary, I'm not going to go and be all long-winded about it again. Because I realized too from listening back to episodes that I've talked about Zachary and her consistency way too much on this show. <laughs> as if you're trying to prove something. But look, here she still is. Finishing the season number six. Again, semifinals at the WTA Finals. Coco Goff. Finalist at the French Open in singles and doubles. Finishing the year number seven, getting to the world number one ranking at one point in doubles. And then Dasha Kasatkina, queer icon of tennis <laughs> right now, who came out in that uh, documentary, what, in the summer, sometime in the summer, and then proceeded to parade her girlfriend around tour all over the globe the rest of the season, having the time of her life. Right. A San Jose winner... She, had, for a big chunk of the season, was number three in the race to the finals. Veronica Kudamratova, who was super close to qualifying, 
And then you just have a list of folks down to, you know, number 30 or 40 who could have huge breakthroughs and pop into the top 10. Madison Keys is at number 11 right now. Mm -hmm. And she had a good year, some very strong results, semifinalists at the Australian Open. Samsonova is at number 20. She's a three-time titleist this year. So there's there's just not a lot to go around after Iga snatched up all those points and titles. Another big story was Simona Halep's incredibly strange, bizarre year. She pairs with Patrick Maratoglu, who split with Serena earlier the year. Basically, Serena wasn't being very communicative with him. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, about her plans. He hooks up with Halep, Simona drops basically her entire team and hires Patrick's team. She has that panic attack on court at Roland Garros. She gets divorced. We're treated to many, many, many cringy Instagram posts from Patrick and herself. Uh, Some of them were Patrick taking responsibility for Simona's panic attack at Roland Garros, uh, taking responsibility for poor stretches of play, and of course, good ones too at Toronto, loses early at the U.S. Open, traditionally not her favorite place, and then ends the season with a positive doping test. Did I mention the divorce in all of that as well? You did mention the divorce. Just an incredibly chaotic year for somebody who is not known for all of that. 2022 also saw what you have listed here as the complete breakdown of COVID protocols. And then we had a whistleblower in the form of Ms. Alize Cornet, or as the Brits like to say, Alize. If you're lucky. Sometimes it's just Alize. If you have a secret, do not tell her, because she is constantly spilling and snitching. She said at Roland Garros, quote, everyone had it and we said nothing. Oh, okay. And essentially at Wimbledon, the rule was there is no testing at the club. If you do test positive, We encourage you to take steps to keep people safe, but it's not a requirement. You don't even have to pull out if you're positive for COVID. After Australia, it was the Wild West out here. The other big, well, I think there were two other big storylines. The retirements, which we saw a plenty, and the babies. There were so many WTA babies. Yes, and often those two things go hand in hand. Let's go back to the start of 2022. Where were we? What was the landscape? Is that a question for me? Yeah. The landscape was Ash Barty as the clear number one. A whole host of women who have won slams, who can pop up and win one at any given moment. And really, not dissimilar to what we have now with Sviantek and the rest, except the gap between Sviantek and the rest is greater than it was with Barty and the rest. But you have that dominant number one, and you have parity. The The story is much the same, just that we have a different character at the top and Ash has retired. Right. You had a qualifier win the US Open. Naomi Osaka was the current title holder at the Australian Open. Krejcikova, world number two, Roland Garros champ. And Ash Barty had won her first and only Wimbledon title. And the question was, well, can she do this at Australia? She's been pretty peerless everywhere else except for the US Open. She made the semis... The year that Sophia Kennan won Australia and did not show up to that match. Right. She wins one of the lead-up tournaments to the Australian Open and then plays such a dominant tournament 
she lost no sets. She was only pushed past 6-4 twice. Only reached a tiebreak once. One of the times that she was pushed past 6-4 was when she was down 1-5 in the second set of that final. Right. Against Danielle Collins and came back to win that set. This run included 62 straight holes of serve, which was from her previous tournament into the Australian Open. She was broken by Amanda Anisimova and then promptly corrected and went on another run. It was just, knowing what we know now, it was such a (laughs) complete and self-contained performance as if she knew something we didn't, which of course she did. And it felt like Serena knowing that she was pregnant and conserving energy and putting in that dominant performance in the 2017 Australian Open. Oh, okay. I, well, I remember feeling those parallels once Ash announced her retirement, that she just seemed so incredibly focused in a way that she hadn't been at the Australian Open before. Also at that Australian Open, Madison Keys, as we mentioned, reached the semifinals as an unseeded player. She beat Kennan, Chung, Badosa, Krejcikova, only to win four games against Ash Barty. I remember Amanda Nisimova had an intriguing first half of the year and that Amanda-Naomi match is something that I'll remember. Such a brilliant display of power tennis. Amanda taking out the defending champion. Well, it also also pissed you off because it stopped you from getting a Barty-Osaka matchup. Yes, yes. I forgot that, actually. Australia was the site of Cornet's first slam quarterfinal as well. At that point, she had played 60 consecutive appearances. She beat Simona Halep, and she continued to have a career year. She said that she had considered retirement only to now have the best season of her career. And Australia was the debut of the Krejcik of a necklace, the heart of the ocean. We're sitting there watching this final and watching Ash Barty do this at the end of that tournament being the reigning Wimbledon and Australian Open champion squarely world number one, just 25 years old, looking to be in complete control of her destiny. And she was. <laughs> we were always Ash fans from when she was little, and especially when she went to play cricket. That was interesting from when she was little? You. She was little, right? She was probably 16 when we, we started talking about her. And it did finally feel that people were warming up to the idea of Ash being number one and and they finally got it. Even if they didn't love her game, it was like, oh, the okay, this is what makes her great. She's backed up all of these weeks at number one. Now she quote unquote deserves it. And as soon as the Vox Populi came around to Ash, she dipped. Because it turned out she really didn't care. She'd been wanting to dip. For a while, she said afterward that she wanted to retire after Wimbledon. (laughs) But how, you know, from us sitting on our couch or sitting at our kitchen table, it's like, how can you give that away when you have so much talent and so much promise and people, your opponents haven't really figured you out yet? You know, how do you make the decision to say, I've done what I came here to do and I'm ready to move on? I think it's incredible that she had that wherewithal at her age. Yeah. And it probably stems from her stepping away from the game the first time that gave her that 
perspective on what she wanted her career to look like. Because as I get older, if I come into a sum of money now, and Ash Barty is, let's be real here, stinking rich. If I come into a sum of money now, I'm dipping. <laughs> like right. so many of y'all will yep. never see or hear from me again. I'm going to be out here relaxing, living my life. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I get it. 25 years old, never having to worry about working ever again to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. Having athletic interests outside of tennis to scratch that itch. Absolutely. I totally get it. Yes, but that individualistic, capitalistic sports ethos is, well, I could be much richer than I am. I could have more millions. I could have more titles. I can achieve all of these things. It'll make me unhappy, but I'm building my legacy, right? And then I'll go and blow like a large portion of it on buying Twitter just to or, occupy my time. You know, or not paying taxes and having to possibly go to prison in your 50s. Oof. It took me a spell there to figure out who you were talking about, but this is a WTA show. Okay, right so now, I'll James. stop. No, no men allowed except for us. Is that it? <laughs> we, we are skipping ahead a bit to Ash's retirement, but it, it feels like a natural segue. At the time that she announced her retirement, at, toward the end of March, she had been number one for 86 consecutive weeks. She was the queen of COVID. She was number one before and after. And also the queen of just COVID. That's literally what I just said. No, but in a diff- with a different meaning. <laughs> okay. In that she was like, COVID happened. I'm peacing out. Okay. I'm she was like keeping my ass at home. Mm-hmm. I am just going to lay low. Right. She retires with 121 total weeks at the number one spot. She had this very long streak that was broken only by Naomi Osaka taking the number one spot for four weeks. So from 2019 until 2022, she was pretty much the top player that entire time. We're kind of telling a narrative of the WTA season. So we've gotten through the Australian summer. Ash Barty is your champion. And this is your favorite time of year, February. Is it? There are a million tournaments all over the globe, every continent, and you just can't get enough tennis. (laughs) You know, I'm going to be positive because I can only have so many least favorite stretches of the season. (laughs) Well, it leads into your least favorite tournament of the year. Of course, Indian Wells. But Ash's retirement left this gap that was promptly filled by Iga. But in that weird period in February where Ash wasn't playing... There wasn't a, a clear dominant player. Ostapenko wins Dubai. She hands Iga Sviantek a loss, and it'll be her last loss for a long, long time. Into what? June? July? Ostapenko beats, also beats Simona Halep, Kvitova, Kudermatova. But swiftly, Iga shuts the door <laughs> on everything, begins this 37-match win streak in Doha, continues it through Indian Wells, Miami into clay, and then finally with Roland Garros. A quick hat tip to Ostapenko here, because she's going to play a more prominent role on a year-end wrap than she ever has on the show, I feel, even when she won the French Open. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's clear that she is a listener favorite. That is just undeniable at this point. Every question we asked on Twitter to solicit responses to help formulate this episode, she featured prominently. The woman has it. I don't know what it is, but she has it. Whatever that, yes, exactly. 
But during that stretch where she played well in back-to-back tournaments, do you remember when she just walloped Garbine Muguruza? And there was this clip going around on Twitter of her just screaming winners mm. after winner mm. against the Muguruza serve. Like I've I've scarcely seen a tennis bludgeoning like I did in that match. <laughs> Which just goes to show you the prodigious talent that this woman has. Yeah. In the Sunshine Double, Iga starts it with three three set matches, and then she doesn't lose another set for 11 matches. She's, you know, she's beating Simona, Madison, Coco, Petra, Naomi, Jesse Pegula. Naomi uh, reached the final at Miami. And unfortunately, this was the last time that Naomi had won back-to-back matches for the rest of 2022. Which is crazy because we watched that result and we were all so hopeful yeah. that at the very least on hard courts that Naomi would be a factor the rest of the year. And that this could be a, a great rivalry going forward. And it still can be. Yeah, And that it could augur well for her playing well on the natural surfaces. But then injury clearly and swiftly took care of that. In those first few months of the year, Russia invades Ukraine, which prompts a lot of Ukrainian players to speak out, ask for Russian and Belarusian players to be banned. The tennis governing bodies, like most sporting bodies and corporations, have to scramble for a response. So much so that in real time, we were seeing the WTA website change. Yes, like you minute saw to the, minute, the message shift in real time. Well, there's a flag. There's no longer a flag. There's a name. There's no longer, you know, <laughs> they were literally scrambling with how to figure this out. Right. And to, uh, I imagine behind the scenes, how to support their players who were trying to leave Ukraine. Because this is actually something that the tennis governing bodies do that we don't see is they are actually helping their players behind the scenes when they're in danger or in distress. At first, the solution was that Russian and Belarusian players can continue to compete, but they won't be able to do so under their national flags. Wimbledon messed all of that up (laughs) by completely banning Russian and Belarusian players, but we'll get to that in a bit. But this was something that overshadowed, of course, the, the rest of the season, Iga Świątek, a Polish player in a border country, was outspoken in her support for Ukraine, is still wearing the Ukrainian flag colors as a pin. If we're telling a narrative here, Iga wins Indian Wells and Miami, and we get news that Ash has just withdrawn from these tournaments. And we're like, okay, you continue doing you, girl. <laughs> you know? And then we get the news at the end of March that she's actually retiring from tennis. I remember I had just finished grocery shopping and I put this, the bags in the back of the trunk and I decided to just check my phone to see if he had messaged me or something. If I needed to go back in and get something I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw, I just stood there. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. This prompted one of the few, very, very few emergency episodes in the body serve history. But we still, we know. <laughs> This is the thing. We never do emergency episodes because we always feel that we have to prepare. So we never release like on that day of the news. Mm -hmm. Or emergency episodes are a few days later. Indeed. And let me tell you, there will not be an emergency episode for something like 
Ostapenko wearing box braids in the offseason. I mean, a white girl wearing an inappropriate black hairstyle? It's not news. It's not. Absolutely not. However, none has ever worn them like that. <laughs> Let's talk about that a bit later. <laughs> Moving into the clay season, Iga's streak is unbroken, but On Shabur is racking up 17 wins on clay, including her first 1,000 title at Madrid, runner-up finishes at Charleston and Rome, and that's 17 wins with a first-round loss at Roland Garros. But before Roland Garros, Ons was going in as one of the favorites. Ego was far and away the favorite. A lot of pressure was mounting, of course, because when you when you build up this win streak, I think a lot of fans, myself included, hope and almost need you to cap it with a major. It would feel almost a waste. So there was pressure building on her that it is expected, literally expected, that you win Roland Garros, especially after doing so in such a dominant fashion in 2020. Iga takes the Stuttgart title, the Rome title, and then pretty much slices through the Roland Garros draw, has a, a tough match against Zhang Qinwen, but overall during the clay season, she only lost two sets. One was to Samsonova and the other to Zhang at Roland Garros. The other big news at Roland Garros was that Coco Gauff, continuing her incremental rise up the rankings, made the final in singles and doubles. Unfortunately, loses both finals. We know, of course, that Coco is having trouble with Iga, like most people. <laughs> loses the doubles final to the team of Garcia and Mladenovic, and this could be seen as something that sparked Garcia's singles renaissance. This is something that you've been this is my, banging on. This is my story, but... You've been saying this all year. <laughs> at the very least. It, let's say it had no effect on her singles career. At the very least, it was the reunion of uh, of a rather, what would you say, tempestuous partnership? Mm-hmm. I know it wasn't their first reunion, that they had, they'd come back together the previous year, but this was their first big win again. They're one of the marquee doubles teams on the WTA Tour over the last half a decade. Oh, yeah. Easily. But Coco, I know you say that everybody struggles with ego. Coco is struggling more than most Yes, for a player of her caliber now with ego. It's clear. Because there have been no inroads made. There have been no outroads at this point. <laughs> is, that, is that the opposite? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Moving into grass. The very quick turnaround from clay to very grass. Very quick. And one player dominated the conversation all the way through the grass season when that was Serena Williams. All through the hardcourt season to the first week of the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah. Serena announced that she would be playing doubles at Eastbourne with Anse Chabour and that she would be entering the singles draw at Wimbledon. And -hmm. if you recall, that that was a big shocker, right? People didn't know if Serena had retired quietly they didn't know if she was going to play singles ever again. And she let us know that, yep, I'm back to play Wimbledon. And this was also, this was mere weeks after Patrick implied that Serena basically dropped off the face of mm-hmm. the earth and wasn't talking to him. Yeah. And so she's back. And we don't get the announcement yet that she's retiring. No. We just know that she's back on tour. This return to Eastbourne was a lot like a surprise album drop. From Beyonce, 
Her friend? Did you know their friends? I They've been friends since at least 2006. I saw a picture last Two, night. Really? Yes. 2006? I saw them out partying in 2006. Serena and Ons play doubles. It's a great time. Everybody has fun. Meanwhile, Beatriz Haddad Maya is winning 13 straight matches, two titles in Nottingham and Birmingham. There are a few stretches of surprising players winning two titles in a row. Bernardo Pera did it later in the summer and... I feel like nobody talked about it. No. Because it was at a weird sort of dead time in the year. Krejcikova did it later in the season. But Haddad Maya announces herself as maybe not a contender at Wimbledon, but certainly a dark horse. Loses super early. Like Ons did at the French Open. The person with, uh, say for Iga, the person with the most momentum, especially at the smaller tournaments, does not do anything. At the big one. It was perplexing. Wimbledon comes, brings us Harmony Tan, defeats Serena Williams. I mean, it was drudgery. It was long and it was it was rough. It was the WTA equivalent of Andy Murray playing Gilles Simon. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> but, you know, I was enjoying it because right. I was watching Serena Williams play tennis. Like... Was she the most dominant Serena Williams? Not even close. Was she the Serena of yesteryear? Not even close. But there were glimpses. Of course. And as a fan, that was fun. And this is the thing when you're watching aging greats like this. Serena was 40 years old. You do see glimpses of the old Serena. But this is time. This is reality. Like, we have to accept it. When... Journalists around here are saying, oh, she's so slow. Her lateral movement is terrible. It's like, okay, and? And what? She's 40. There's a big old mix-up that happened with Miss Harmony Tan and her doubles partner at this tournament. <laughs> that that we so will get good. into in our Remember When segment. Mm-hmm. Because that is one of the the premier messes of 2022. Ms. Uh, Mademoiselle Alizé Cornet. Now, was the liqueur named after her, or was she named after it? Stop. Just stop. Or none of the above. Just stop. (laughs) (laughs) She continues this amazing season by beating Iga Shriantek at Wimbledon. The thing about Alizé, too, is that she makes such a spectacle out of everything. She's always wrapped for the gods. (laughs) Like... (laughs) ready to be entombed at any moment. (laughs) The histrionics on court, the disbelief at everything, the the spells of maturity. It's it's, (laughs) you get the full range. It's entertainment. Okay. People are paying to watch this shit. Give them a show. Serena loses that first run match. We have a number of players missing because Russian and Belarusian players are not able to compete. And we have the entire field unable to gain ranking points at this tournament. And what we end up with is a final between Elena Rybakina and Ons Jabeur. And while we had both picked Rybakina to break out in 2022, we were both heavily rooting for Ons Jabeur in that match. <laughs> I, I didn't expect Rybakina to break out in this way at least so soon. Into the second week, it was pretty much accepted that this was Simona Halep's tournament to lose. She was the 2019 champ, the most accomplished player remaining. Right, but you still had Tatiana Maria, who was, I mean, 
talk about one of the comeback players of the year. You had Ayla Tomlanovic there, who's always threatened to have a big result. She'll play a big role at the U.S. Open to come. You had Amanda Nisimova, who had a good start to the year. And you had young, talented Marie Boskova as well. You're right. Simona was the name mm-hmm. at that time. But you could have made a case for many of those women, save for Tatiana Maria. Okay, I think I do think maybe you're stretching a bit with Tom Lanovic uh, <laughs> or Boskova. Like, these were surprising quarterfinalists. Okay. Emma Raducanu just happened <laughs> the year before. Fine, fine, fine. But Elena Rybakina breaking out was not a, an entirely shocking thing to have happened, especially at this very strange Wimbledon tournament. No, but she played one hell of a tournament. And in that final, she handled the occasion like no other. Completely unmoved by the moment, and as she is wont to do, emotionless in victory. <laughs> that was a big story. But I think the story for me is... Losing the first set, being absolutely atrocious at net, and being able to reflect at that first set change and change your game plan and come back to win. Like, that's the story for me. To be able to really adjust mentally during this big match. And then we enter probably your favorite part of the year. You keep saying that. Is what? it? Is it my favorite? No, this one oh, actually you're... might be. Right? The U.S. hardcourt season. Sure. You like the hardcourt swing? I do. Yes. Against my better judgment, I do really enjoy this this period. I don't love hardcourts. It's just the kind of the anticipation building toward the U.S. Open, the fact that we're in the same time zone. You have this weird interim period for a few weeks after Wimbledon, which always happens. We've got Bernardo Pera winning two titles, Garcia winning in Poland tournaments on clay and hardcourt at the same time and then we get to the two big ones right the two big ones being canada and cincinnati and this was our first return to live tennis we hadn't been to live tennis since the pandemic and we went to tennis in toronto because miss serena williams announced that she was going to be playing as did miss venus williams yep they both played Uh, we watched serena ed in her first match against parisas diaz Winning that match, Venus had to go on at like midnight after Leila Fernandez played for seven and a half hours, and Venus lost that one. Simona Halep wins Toronto, beating Haddad Maya. In Cincinnati, we get Petra Kvitova in another final, losing to Caroline Garcia. Kvitova making the Cincinnati final for the first time. This was a tournament that historically she did not play well at. Mm-hmm. Could not deal with the high heat and the humidity. And this is where... Caroline Garcia really is percolating, right? Like the momentum is building. She wins Cincinnati. And then we head into the U.S. Open knowing that this will also be Serena Williams' last tournament. Yeah. During the Rogers Cup. No, National Bank Open. Is that what it's called? What is it called now? National Bank Open. (laughs) During Toronto. Serena Williams announced through that Vogue piece that she would be evolving away from tennis. I believe we saw her the day of the announcement. The day after? Oh, 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 she made the announcement right after we saw her, actually. Yes, yes. She lost to Belinda Bencic, I believe, right after she announced that. Neither of us saw her lose this summer. 
which was by design. <laughs> we bo- yeah, like I was not shelling out all that money for a Benchich match. We get to the U.S. Open. Literally, I get to the U.S. Open. My first ever <laughs> slam action. It was incredible. I had such a great time. I will be back next year for sure. Shout out to everybody that I met in person. One of the highlights of my entire life, not just sporting life, was watching Serena Williams beat Annette Contivate at the U.S. Open. It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. I hope Mariah can challenge that in a couple weeks when we see her (laughs) at the Scotiabank Arena. (laughs) Serena's final matches at the U.S. Open drove some of the biggest broadcast ratings in ESPN history. Attendance was up, TV viewership was up, and it was a a lot to do with Serena. Resale tickets at the U.S. Open for Serena matches? Absurd. Yeah, yeah. Of course, she ends up losing to Tom Leonovich in the third round. She did not go out without a fight. I think she saved something like five match points toward the end of that match. Yeah, I I mean, we're still in a place where I haven't accepted that Serena has really retired. Well, this is my question that I had written here. Looking back, what did that feel like with Serena? And how did you how do you feel now that you've had a few months distance mm-hmm. from it? Well, I've, I honestly felt like this before as well. I, I feel at peace. These past few years were, were really difficult because there was so much... It felt like she was trying to wrap up. It felt like she was forcing herself to be out here to achieve some kind of illusory goal. This record that wasn't even set in the open era. And it didn't really feel that fun. So, And that's always been a big thing for you with Serena and being a fan of Serena. You wanted to see her have fun on the tennis court. Yeah, yeah, because when she's winning, it's fun. Like she likes beating down opponents too in love. (laughs) right no i'm gonna push back on you with that because serena still enjoys winning tough three set matches winning is winning period sure there were many times when she was winning labored that you were not having that no i just i didn't want to see her lose to inferior opponents just because of her age or because of her fitness or because of injuries that just wouldn't go away at this stage, I had accepted that 24 wasn't going to happen. And she wants to move on with her life. She wants to have another child. I feel happy for her. That's that's where I am. And so, yeah, it, it her leaving the sport has left a massive hole in my experience watching the sport. Yes. But this is life, right? Life and tennis have to march on. Because I don't think it's left that big a vacuum in the actual tennis no because it had been years since she was the dominant player so when she came back from having olympia she would be the source of that conversation Mm -hmm. but she was having those results at the big tournaments tournament to tournament it wasn't serena's tour it hadn't been serena's tour for years not at all she was playing only for the majors and she was still doing well she was reaching semis a lot of finals not able to win them. The pandemic happened and the injuries in 2021 happened that I one of the most horrible feelings I've ever had as a fan was her injury at Wimbledon in 2021. Yeah. And so 
a full year off tour where Ash Barty wins that tournament at Wimbledon 2021, goes on to win the Australian Open 2022, establishes herself. She retires and Iga Sviantek comes back and, and establishes herself even greater than Ash to an extent. She's still only 20. The potential right. for right. what Iga could be is crazy. And so that vacuum of what Serena could have left if she, if she say, retired in 2015. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. That would have left yeah. the tour in complete shambles. But I think her retirement at this stage was more shambles for the fans. Yeah, because now it's 2022. I don't feel like she's left anything on the table. No. Right? I think she tried her damnedest to win that 24th slam. She made four slam finals after having Olympia... She left it all out there. Like, she she gave us way, way more than we could have asked for. Or that we even deserve, to be honest. <laughs> yes, and, that's true. And when she made this announcement, this was going to be her final push. This last cluster of tournaments. Every single match, she gave her everything in those matches. She did. And watching that journey, for me, was a gift. Like, I had no delusions of her winning these titles. To have been able to watch two of those wins, to have been able to watch her try to do what she was attempting to do <laughs> against every odd, truly, culminating with that win against world number two and at Contivate, and then that final game of her career, yet just yet another gift that she gave us as fans. If we're able to get out of our own asses and just appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah, of course. Other things happened at the U.S. Open, namely Iga Shiontek winning her first hardcourt slam, a place where she never looked entirely comfortable, where she wasn't cool with the type of balls that they were using, and she was open about that. But Anshabur was, I think, the bigger surprise in reaching the final there. Iga took everything away from, took time away from her in the final. Anz's drop shot was a mess. It was not a weapon in that final, and that was down to Sviantek's just incredible play. Hmm. At this U.S. Open, lest we forget one of the stories of the year, mostly because she's British, Emma Raducanu. We could not escape the the hype of Emma Raducanu this year. Um, could I, I mean, feel like we maybe, could have. Maybe you were especially <laughs> adept at tuning it out, but sure. as part of the tennis discourse... Emma Raducanu was one of the top stories this year. She was. And At the U.S. Open, it was misplaced, though, because there was no indication that she could repeat what she did the previous year. There was no indication all year that she could right. repeat what she did last year. But this was the end point. You get the full year. It's like when, you know, you win Miss World and you have to come back the next year and give the crown to the <laughs> next person. <laughs> Except Leave you can it to like a Jamaican to <laughs> reference the Miss World pageant. <laughs> like your reign is over after this year, unless you win again, right? right? But for all intents and purposes, looking at this story and the way it had been framed, can she? Can she? Can she? What will she do? Like this is the moment where it's like we need to let that go, and everybody, including her, needs to move on to what the next phase of her career is going to look like, whatever it is, right? And I think she has moved on, right? She She's was, moved on from many coaches too. Indeed. But she was telling the press all year that, listen, listen, Linda, I have a Grand Slam title and I'm fine. And I'll, you know, I'll deal with it. 
Who's, who's Linda? Are we just alliterating? No, it's from the, it's a meme. Oh. It's some old YouTube clip or Vine or whatever. Oh, I must have missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, she went 17 and 19 this year. She had a bunch of injuries, had a bunch of coaches. And remember, this is her first full year on tour. This is a lot for any player. I think going forward, she'll be blessed to be relieved of that kind of hype, at least from being the defending champion of a major. She'll have the hype because of the money that's invested in her and because of which country she's from. But she's young. Like, there is time. Ego wins the US Open. I mean, at this point, it's just the cherry on top. The only thing that could add to her season is a second cherry on top of that cake at the WTA Finals. I know you want to speed through the the fall section because we really just covered it, right? <laughs> right. Krejcikova gave herself a chance to qualify for the WTA Finals, which is wild considering the rest of her year. She won titles in Tallinn and Ostrava. She got that rare win over Sviantec in Ostrava in a great, great final. Jesse Pegula wins her first 1,000 title. Iga sits out Guadalajara, does everybody a favor... Let somebody else have it for once. <laughs> well, we also saw Iga start to use her voice as the top player in tour. Yeah. Uh, complaining, rightly so, about the scheduling. I mean, we also realize that it's it's a difficult climate out here for the WTA in actually having tournaments. And Indeed. So, um, the fact that they were haphazardly scattered in places did make it difficult for players to traverse the globe. And the players who didn't have to, didn't. Right. But then it, it created this unfortunate situation for those 20-plus players who are chasing qualification at the WTA Finals to to do a lot of traveling in the last few yes, weeks. Yes, because there were a few tournaments in Europe. You could stay there, but they weren't big tournaments. You could come over to North America in advance of the finals. Iga came to San Diego, won it Guadalajara was the 1000 event that replaced, well, really, Wuhan and Beijing were both canceled. Guadalajara took one of the 1000 licenses. And Caroline Garcia wins the WTA finals. Sabalenka did yeoman's work in taking out Sviantec in the semifinals. She was pleased as all hell with that win. Yeah, because Sabalenka has had a semifinal point to prove. There was a semifinal in the U.S. Open in 21 that she could and should have won. She lost another semi in 2022. I think she she really had something to prove finishing her season. Before we get into some of the more fun things, some of the questions that we pose to listeners, let's talk a, a little bit about some of the statistics and also the award categories, because the WTA just released the award categories yesterday. Obviously, most titles on the season, Iga Sviantec. Eight titles, she won so many big titles. Player of the Year is sewn up. Uh, the other nominees are just there to fill out the category. I'm so sorry. No disrespect to the great achievements of the five others, but Iga wins this without any, any discussion at all. Caroline Garcia, Coco Goff, Ons Jabeur, Jesse Pegula, and Elena Rybakina. Now, Rybakina, because she did not get those 2,000 points at Wimbledon, did not finish anywhere near the top 10. Had she gotten those right. 2,000 points, ranking-wise, 
inclusion here would not look that strange. Exactly. And the WTA doesn't have a rule like the ATP does. She could not qualify for the finals off the strength of a Grand Slam title alone. Doubles team of the year. Another one that I feel is a runaway train. Dabrowskin, Olmos, Coco Goff, and Jesse Pagula. Mind you, for a long time, it was Coco Goff and Kate McNally. We saw them reunite <laughs> at the Billie Jean King Cup. Yep. But once they had their breakout run at the French Open, and the two of them were going to be at these big tournaments every damn week, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. This became a no-brainer. Then there's Kichinok and Ostapenko, Krejcikova and Siniakova, and then Kudermatova and Mertens. There's another clear winner here, but a, a few players have been number one in doubles this year. Mertens, Coco Goff is one of the youngest in history, and Katerina Siniakova. Her pairing with Krejcikova won three of four majors this year, reached the final of the WTA finals. They've more than earned their spot here. Most improved? Alexandrova, Haddad Maya, Kudermitova, Samsonova, and Tomljanovic. And these are the WTA nominees, or these are your nominees? These are the WTA okay. official nominees. The officials. We said that Tomljanovic would play a role later on in the season at the U.S. Open. She is the person who stood across from Serena Williams and beat her in her last match. Yep, yep. Two uh, consecutive second weeks in majors. If we're talking about best return from a drugs ban, Haddad Maya definitely has it. Oh my it. god. Uh, but I would say I would say Kudermatova in this one. Or Samsonova. Yeah, a three-time titleist this year. Then, there's the Newcomer of the Year award, which is being decided amongst Harriet Dart, Linda Fervitova, Niemeyer, Pigossi, Maya Sharif, and Zhang Chinwen. This one feels very best new artist at the Grammys because a lot of these women have been here for a while. Okay, so who's um, Mila Vanilli? And who is Mila Vanilli no, and who is Mariah Carey? We're not doing that. <laughs> None of them are fakes. I'm just saying they've been here for a while and they're only just being called newcomer. The oh, Grammys. No, oh, that's not true. Harry Dart, Dart. Okay, but for Vita, she's 17. Meyer Sharif. Okay. Yeah. Mid 20s, but. Chin Wen, Neymar, these are these are new names. They are, for for the most part. Overall, eight players won their first singles titles this year. Martina Trevisan. Martina Mussolini. Um, <laughs> Bia Haddad Maya. <sighs> Potapova, Para, Boskova, Furvitova, Sharif, and Blinkova. Chin Wen made a final. She did not win a tournament this year. Does that factor into whether she's the newcomer of the year? Because I know you are inclined to crown her since you I know. P- you I, picked her to break out this year. I think a, a lot of people are inclined to crown her just because of what they feel her upside is. I feel like the newcomer, I would give it to Fruvitova. Really? Yeah, because she has incredible youth on her side. <laughs> and she to is do what she did at her age, winning a title... I feel this this category can be a bit more than just results. So for me, it's between her and Chin Wen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Comeback of the year. This is always an interesting one because players are constantly coming back from injuries. The WTA has nominated Tatiana Maria, Daria Saville, Donna Vekic, and Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. Serena was a surprise to me because Serena 
won, what, three tour-level matches this year. I think for her, this was a chance to to play a little, to have a, a legit, proper goodbye that she was looking for. And that was it. It didn't feel like a full-scale comeback. And so I... I would give Serena's spot to Carolyn Garcia. Okay. Carolyn, she wasn't... She didn't go anywhere. Well, was she, she just coming back from ineptitude? Yeah, she just wasn't that great. <laughs> you know? Do you... I mean... No, I get what I you're saying. I guess you have to talk... We have to talk about, like, what, what, what the is the category for? What is it meant to recognize? And, uh, okay, Tatiana Maria, she's 34. She has two children. She definitely belongs here. Daria Saville has been dealing with catastrophic injuries, but the category is comeback. It doesn't have to be an injury. It can also be a comeback from being not that great. Okay. I think the clear winner here is Tatiana Maria. Mm. Yeah. In our year-end wraps for both tours, we always like to talk about who we chose as breakout players in January and keep ourselves honest to see if we had any idea what we were talking about. I sure as hell did not. (laughs) <laughs> we each have a few successes and massive failures. I did a lot better with the men than the women yeah, this year. Yeah. For me, we I think we did it we broke it down from like rankings 0 to 50, 50 to 100 and then 100 plus, right? Mm-hmm. We chose three people in those categories. I chose Rabakina and Golubich for the top 50. Rabakina obviously great choice. Don't need to expand on it. Golubich, unfortunately, her ranking went in the wrong direction. She went in the other way. For the 50 to 100, I picked Ruza. No. In per- yeah, that's exactly same, what you have written same thing. in parentheses here. No. It, yeah, it, her momentum went in the, the wrong direction, unfortunately. But your shining moment. Wow. I picked Zhang Qingwen for the top or the 100 and higher category and it worked it worked the thing with (laughs) the thing with jung no she has not won a title this year but it's the way that she competes against the top players that is what people notice Mm -hmm. i too picked ribakina in that first category and like you i also had a a second player that i picked and i doubled down on clara towson and that did not work out. Mm-hmm. She's currently ranked outside the top 100. She's had a lot of injuries that she's dealt with. Hasn't been able to build. I feel like the Rebakina pick, yes, everybody thought she would do something. Looking back now, you we have to remember, everybody thought she was going to be the player to take the next step right. this year. But it felt, uh, yes, she had such a setback after the COVID break that it felt she had to recapture that magic at some point. And the pick would look a lot better, again, with Wimbledon points. Right, right. If we're going just by where they finished in the rankings, right? Okay. In the 50 to 100 region, I picked Anisimova, and she's finished inside the top 50, so that's a bit of a win. And first half of the year, she had some great results. It was looking real good there for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I flamed out with Haley Baptiste, okay. who is still ranked outside the top 100. We asked our our Twitter followers and our listeners to respond to us with the best remember when moments of the year. What's the spirit behind this question? 
the spirit is to, you know, get beyond the results. And let's talk about some weird shit that happened this year in tennis. Of course, critique of his necklace in Australia became the wardrobe malfunction of 2022. It was the albatross around her neck. Oh my god. <laughs> my necklace is broken. And it's such a lovely excuse. Whenever you're accused of gamesmanship or just not living up to your end of the bargain, you say, my necklace, it's broken. But she fixed that necklace in the fall. You've loved this story for the entire year. I mean, she got a new kit this year. Let's talk about the impact of that. (laughs) She took an eight-minute break, and when she came back, she was being reprimanded and she picked up the necklace and showed it to the chair and was like, it broke. <laughs> now remember at the previous major, Garbine Muguruza cussed her out at the net and called her unprofessional for these antics. Then we get to Australia. She does this thing with the necklace and I, it, you know, it felt like Garbine had cursed her at the end of 2021. Your second favorite story of the year Mine or the listeners? Yours. You love this oh, one too. Yeah, but this I've seen other people do polls and stuff, and this has been coming up a lot. The Harmony Tan core patch doubles drama at Wimbledon. Harmony Tan is in the midst of her best career tournament, reaching the fourth round at Wimbledon, and Tammy Corpatch, her doubles partner, is flaming her. On social media, saying that if, <laughs> oh, if you can't endure a three-hour match, then forget it. You shouldn't be playing the sport. How dare you pull out of our doubles team? Meanwhile, Miss Korpach went on shortly thereafter to test positive for COVID. So we well, don't know if they played doubles, even if they won that doubles match, if Harmony would have tested positive herself and then had her mm-hmm. storybook run curtailed. Yes, this is also after... Corpatch had taken a photo with Rafa Nadal maskless mm. at Wimbledon. What else? Venus Williams and Jamie Murray playing mixed doubles at Wimbledon, getting that iconic roar from Venus. Oh, I, it just it lives in my mind's eye, <laughs> and I'm determined to have it replace. The Sloane Stevens backhand winner in the semifinals of the U.S. Yeah, Open of 2017. Because not. 42 years old, Venus Williams, deep in a tiebreak at Wimbledon after just deciding, well, hell, I'm going to enter this tournament after, well, I don't know, almost a year off. <laughs> and to come up with a clutch, clutch on the run backhand screaming winner down the line and then just scream with emotion at having scratched an itch that she hasn't had the opportunity to do in so long. It was, you know, we talk about Venus as an inspirational figure all the time, but that was inspiring to herself and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just was unfortunate that they could not go further. They lost that match. But you know what? We're not going to remember that. I'm going to remember both. (laughs) (laughs) Suit yourself. Dasha Kazatkina. You're supposed to say, remember when and then say. Oh, oh. Remember when Dasha Kazatkina and Andrei Rublev participated in the documentary. 
Dasha kind of casually came out. She then debuted her very hot former figure skater girlfriend who accompanied her around the globe for the rest of the year. To the WTA finals <laughs> on the red carpet. There's Iga Sviantek being interviewed. And in the foreground is Dasha hanging off of, you know, her boo. Right. Just the the emancipation of Daria Kazatkina was such a beautiful thing to watch. Mm-hmm. And Knowing... all of this happening in Texas. <laughs> right. Knowing that she comes from a place where this is not smiled upon, that she's possibly uh, jeopardizing her future in her home country. It's a, it's just such an inspiration. And, and she's a, also a style inspiration. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people did not care for her outfit. Well, yeah. some people didn't, but well, I was not one of those people. I thought it was fashion. <laughs> <laughs> remember well, when Simona Hallett tested positive for a banned substance? Yes, no, I do. I don't remember that. I, I remember that. Let's move on. Did you remember when Tara Moore tested positive and was handed a ban? And there has been radio silence ever since. Because I, I looked up today to see if the ITIA had updated the provisional suspension. No? You had to look up? You don't get alerts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, remember when we had a field day with Diana Yastremska's sex ingestion? Um, Positive story. Can you pl- wow. I surely wish you would have worded that some other way. But then... I thought, like, how is there a better way? Well, you know Jamaicans have a talent for being very circuitous, but also, when needed, very specific. Yes. With as few words as needed. Very descriptive. We have yet to hear the origin story of Tara Moore's positive test or Simona Hollop's positive test. I know it's coming. Or I, I assume it's coming. Shola said... Remember when Venus cooked Serena in their practice session ahead of the City Open? (laughs) I sure do. (laughs) She had Serena running for her life. (laughs) In front of all those people. In front of all those fans. She's like, little sister, I remember. (laughs) I remember that, uh, what was it, that 2008 Wimbledon final. I remember your sourpuss afterward. I remember your press conference after I beat you at Indian Wells just three years ago and how nasty you were about it. Oh, my God. You are doing too much (laughs) because Venus does not care. No, she doesn't. But that press conference, it was the 2018 Indian Wells where Serena lost to Venus. Serena was so sour, so stink. Right. It's been circulating today. It's going around today. And if you read the comments or listen to the comments out of context, you're like, wow, that is some nasty stuff. Especially <laughs> since Venus had just come off of 2017. Yeah. But it did not read or feel like that in the moment when it happened because we had the context of Venus having had a terrible year sure, up until that point. But it was only March. Right? She had listen, a career revival listen, listen, the previous year. I'm just saying there's some context missing from that <laughs> clip going around today. Sure. Do you remember when Sloane Stevens was asked after her loss at the French Open this year, who was the favorite between Coco Gauff and Martina Trevisan? And she famously said, Not Trevisan. 
No, it was who are you rooting for? And she said, not Trevisan. <laughs> no, it was definitely favorite because she went on to say, well, she's not my favorite at any rate or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you it's not Trevisan. <laughs> well, at the time I was like, wow, damn. What did Martina do to Sloan? And, and now, now we understand that Sloan was and usually is, right? Lauren Vale said that one of her most enduring remember when moments from the 2022 WTA season was when Ash Barty won the Australian Open in those ruby red trainers and then the shock of her retirement. She in Oz, get it? She wore oh. ruby slippers in Oz. Did we get that in the moment as well? I don't, I don't know if it was intentional, but you know. Encoding, oh. decoding. Oh. Slice Run reminded me of this amazing moment that I had forgotten about where Danielle Collins smoked a winner past Simona Halep and then blew on her racket. That is like bad bitch energy that nobody does anymore. Nobody does that. They're all nice. Also the Kerber Kaya Yuvan epic in Strasbourg. We also asked you all to list things that you loved and loathed about 2022. I don't like to use the word hated. Like, growing up, we weren't allowed to use that word in my house. Oh my God. Is that a thing for you? No. Oh, okay. No. We weren't. We were. I have no qualms about saying I hate something. <laughs> we were literally not allowed to utter the words, I hate mm-hmm. something. But I was aware of the finality and the... Uh... The extremeness of the word. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. But I had no qualms about saying it. <laughs> Not anymore. You say it all the time. Not no, anymore. You're a liar. You said all... I can hear your voice saying, I hate... No, I'm I'm not lying. I'm saying growing up. Oh, no, but you're and, saying you don't want to use it now for the purposes of the show, but you say it in this household all the time. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. But, you know, we have to measure ourselves for public consumption. Okay, fine. Things you loved in 2022 and things you didn't love <laughs> so much in 2022. Sure. Bad Toss says all the new tennis babies... There were so many babies or pregnancies. Listen, I made a list of these babies and there are so many. I'm not even sure I got all of them. And this is just from the WTA side. I couldn't remember. From active and inactive players. There's the Gems baby. Gems life baby. Mm -hmm. Svidalina and Mofis welcomed their child. There was Wojniecki, her second child with David Lee. Angelique Kerber. Says she's not retired, but she is definitely pregnant. That baby has not hatched yet. Kiki Bertens, retired shortly thereafter last year, announced she was having a baby. That baby dropped in 2022. <laughs> like a single? Like an album? <laughs> we wondered on the show earlier this year, what happened to Christina Pliskova? And then a listener had to tell us. And she's now a mother as well. She's apparently intending to come back. Nicole Gibbs retired from tennis. She had a child this year. Lucy Shavasheva had her second child this year. And then she of the career 2-20 and 20 record against Stop. Serena Williams Stop. gave birth to her first child this year. You could have said the five-time Grand Slam champion, the career Grand Slam winner, Masha Sharapova. She has many things on her resume. Many. Mm-hmm. Look. How am I here defending Maria Sharapova? How dare I put you in that position? It's because it's because of the Met Ball reunion. That's that's what softened me. Was that this year? No, that was last year. Oh, I, I can't recall. 
Sapna says that in-person tournaments for spectators was the thing that she loved most this year. Yes. I I haven't gone yet. I say yes like I've participated. Oh, no, I did. I went to Rogers Cup. You but did? That, that was it. But it's still, it's still for us a fairly nerve-wracking experience. Like for us, we still live in a COVID world. Yeah, I know a lot of people. A lot of people don't. We live in monkeypox world. Like the woman who comes into my restaurant and does not want to be waited on by a server with a mask. Right. Specifically requests an unmasked server. (laughs) This is the new smoking non-smoking section. (laughs) Jack Magic. Uh, contributes something that you actually experienced together. Together, and we met up for drinks afterward. Right. I met her and her sister afterward. Serena's last win on Arthur Ashe. With her sister. Don't leave that part off. With Jack Madge's sister. Yes. Not Serena's sister. Correct. Right. Again, I mean, just a spectacular moment in time. It's Burgos Day contributes Coco in Paris. It's better than Emily in Paris, I'll tell you that. But Coco reaching the finals in both singles and doubles. How beautiful would it be to see Coco Goff win Roland Garros someday? Bless Amy's heart, says Penko's kits. Yelena Ostapenko has offered many, many variations of the same style kit this year. It's it's variations on a theme. They have had varying levels of missing. I'm not going to say varying levels of success because i'm not sure any of them have been good well it depends what the goal is right i'd say they're successful in that they're being talked about indeed that they're beautiful gorgeous they look like linda evangelista they're yeah now you are a liar (laughs) (laughs) i we said at the top of this episode that yelena has it Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is but she has it it is the most impregnable sense of self and confidence. It is. It's the audacity is what she has. For me, if we're going to go with somebody's kits, one of the highlights of 2022 for me was Coco Goff's kits. Because yeah. nobody is bringing color to the balls like Miss Coco Goff. Period. Am I allowed to say period? That's a discussion you're going to have to have with yourself. With my with my minister and my therapist. Yes. Because period is obviously A-A-V-E. You didn't put the T on it. Right. But it's also something that white people say, too. Mm -hmm. Think on it. Let's talk about that in in 2023. (laughs) (laughs) That was actually a common response. A number of people said that. Alice Johnson as well. Neil said Ostapenko in general with her Dubai run, her awful losses, the outfits, of course, the handshakes the interviews, and Renee Denfeld also contributed just a moment ago, the plugging of the ears. Which I witnessed in person. (laughs) In person. My very first slam action was watching Yelena Ostapenko play Chin Wen on an outer court Mm -hmm. at the U.S. Open and her plugging her ears, stomping the baseline. Oh, interesting, because this photo that renee gave us was from a clay tournament so this happened a number of times no this is her thing you go to a yelena match to watch that when she's losing <laughs> trixie belden said that the thing that she loved in 2022 was ash barty winning the australian open and then 
quote, peace out retiring. Perfect. We had a number of responses about Iga's win streak, about watching her in full flight. Thanks for to Sam Cam Picks. Batter boy JJ said Kasatkina on and off court. Cosine. Wow. Icon. Racket smashed said that Ons making two slam finals was one of the highlights of their year. And from Game Set Match 11, this is one of the longer responses. I'm just going to read all of it. Alizé Cornet having her best season, breaking that consecutive slam participation record, making her first Grand Slam quarterfinal in Australia. The way she gave Dokic her flowers at the Australian Open. She's been the drama, but ultimately she showed she's a class act. Sleeper hit of the season. The Dockish thing kind of made me a little bit made me a little bit uncomfortable in the moment, but I get the sentiment. It it was so in keeping with Alize's whole thing, right? Her whole aura. She does bring the drama, but I do think there's this undercurrent of goodness with her. I really do. The Dockish thing, it made me emotional, honestly. And it it actually brings up a theme that we didn't mention is that Women's tennis this year has been more willing to speak about abuse in the sport. Yelena Dokic has given us so much more than she had to about what she endured and what was tolerated on tour when she was coming up. But we heard about Fiona Farrow pressing charges against her former coach. Pam Shriver. Pam Shriver talking about a relationship that was really inappropriate between her former coach in the 1980s. Uh, We saw what appeared to be a father literally beating up his daughter on a court in Belgrade. But I think there is a shift in that perhaps Me Too has finally reached tennis and people are willing to talk about these things openly and challenge the WTA and the ATP, of course, to take seriously the abuse that we know has happened throughout history. Wherever you have young kids who have a a potential to make a lot of money for adults, there's abuse. The flip side of that question, things you loved in 2022, things you loved less, things you may have disliked, things you may have even hated Uh, in 2022. that was the prompt. Things you hated. Bad Toss has pissed me off, question mark. The tennis establishment falling all over themselves to declare Simona pretextually innocent in an ongoing investigation. This one was... It stood out for us. Mm-hmm. This was when we talked about on the last episode, the CEO of the WTA saying publicly that, you know, I believe Simona, she's not this type of person. And it's just very, well, inappropriate, but also very odd that so many people are saying this is false. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what you know about a person or what you think you know, athletes very often surprise you. They often do things that are shady to gain a competitive advantage. And I admit, I would be very surprised if Simona was that person. But the facts as they are now is that she tested positive for this substance. Right, it just felt like it was a matter to opine on from people in her camp, people who are personally related to her, from her fans. Right. Not Not the the CEO of of the the WTA. Because the WTA is not a player's union. Not people who are conflicted out by talking about this. And and literally by design. They've outsourced anti-doping to another organization to preserve its integrity. It was weird. (laughs) Jack Magic, in keeping with her joy being Serena-related, her 
anti-joy. <laughs> Devastation. Is that there'll be no more fist pumps, business buns, and twirls. And of course she's referring to the evolution of Serena Williams away from tennis. A lot of folks mentioned that what they hated about this year was the lack of points awarded to Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, both the decision to ban Russian and Belarusian players and the decision to rescind points from players who did play the tournament. At Bless Amy's Heart, and indeed Bless Amy's Heart for this response, she said that the thing that she hated most in 2022 was, wait for it, Benchich existing. Now, mm-hmm. Benchich can exist somewhere else. That's fine. Just not here. Trixie Belden said that this pissed me right off. The ridiculous WTA ATP decisions on Wimbledon ranking points, in keeping with what you just said, mm-hmm. that it was a fairly common response, at Spade Loads said, mm, as... What does that mean? Go on. I'm going to continue. Mm. That, quote, the amount of tournaments Naomi plays, but that's just me being selfish as she has so much talent. Yes. Batterboy JJ says the widening gap between men's and women's tennis in terms of opportunities and prize money. And this has never been more apparent. You know how they say progress is not a straight line? Well, that's what this is. Mm -hmm. Because the ATP is out here celebrating the richest prize in tennis history awarded to Novak Djokovic. Mm -hmm. Which, (laughs) remember, remember, they only did... Because the WTA announced their biggest prize money in history in Shenzhen. Uh-huh. And the ATP essentially outbid it by like 100k. It was like the price it was is right. the pettiest shit you've ever the seen. The pettiest I shit, need, like the price is right. I need people to remember When this. that person gets on the panel and you know that, you know, all those players probably have good guesses, but you're just going to do that $1. That $1. That's what that was. Petty. It was. I think that's a good segue into uh, one of the things I promised that we would talk about on this episode was the state of the WTA's finances and this potential deal with CVC, this private equity firm. You're going to be carrying this in loads. <laughs> Which is fine. It's fine. Spades of loads it, in this segment. Really. <laughs> it, it might be boring. I apologize. But it's something that really interests me. This is like a, a name that tune question. Can you do this segment in five to ten minutes? I will. I'll try my best. Yeah. The WTA, we have to be honest, has had a very, very difficult year. There is a noticeable scarcity of tournaments. It had to scramble to find the location for the WTA finals. And so much of this stems from losing China because of the boycott. That potentially lost one third of the WTA's operating income for the year which is a lot of money. In March, WTA announced that Hologic would be its title sponsor, its first title sponsor since Sony Ericsson. Hologic is a a medical device and diagnostics company, which is focused chiefly on women's health. Uh, But the company was in good position to, to spend this money because they had just earned a big contract from the US government at the end of 2020 to produce COVID tests. And alongside this Hologic deal was this potential deal with CVC, which is a private equity firm, 
around June, July is when we first started hearing about it, that this private equity firm had been in talks with the WTA to purchase 20% of its commercial operations. And there's a big distinction to be made here. CVC is not paying for ownership or partial ownership in the WTA, only a partnership in its operations. This deal is worth a reported 150 million US dollars. It came up in July, and we've heard very, very little of it since. Right before the US Open, the WTA was meant to vote on it. And now we're in November. Steve Simon is giving an interview to Christopher Clary of the New York Times and said, yep, we're still in talks. This is a, a pretty complicated process, and we're working through the deal. An interesting fact is that CBC in 2021 was interested in proposing a merger between the ATP and the WTA, which would have been worth way, way more money. But the ATP was like, no, we're not. We're about to debut our One Vision strategic plan. Let's do that first and then see where we're at. Now, when you take money from private equity, there's a lot of fears. There are fears that you're giving away sort of bargaining power or leverage. There are fears that it's going to complicate tennis governance even more and that you're going to have to kind of be pushed into decisions you don't want to make. Steve Simon said, listen, it's not going to overcomplicate governance. They do have to essentially hire an executive from CVC. But according to Simon Briggs in The Telegraph earlier this year, apparently one of the deal breakers for CVC is that the WTA has to increase its prize money to match the ATP at even more events. And at first, this sounds great, right? But the thing is, this is something that happens behind closed doors. Because aside from the slams, Indian Wells and Miami, the ATP and the WTA do not pay equitable prize money at these co-ed events. The WTA has been taking money out of its own pocket and leveling up the players at these events. So at places like Rome and Madrid, for example. And so what this does is that it keeps pay equity behind closed doors. It does nothing to change the conditions that create inequity. The WTA is taking money out of its budget and just paying it out to players. And so if CVC comes in and says you have to do this more, you're going to be spending money that they're giving you to equalize prize money. But when the tournament's purse comes out, that doesn't change. And what are some of your sources for this? That the listeners can go and and do this reading for themselves. This was reported in The Telegraph, in The Times of London, in Sports Business Journal, in The New York Times. Uh, Christopher Clary got one of the few... Interviews with Steve Simon recently. Cindy Schmerler wrote about this in the Times as well. CBC has been an investor in Formula One for about 10 years, uh, ending in 2017. They own an IPL cricket team. The Okay, the thesis statement, and then I'm done, is that the WTA financially has had a, an absolutely catastrophic year. I don't want to sugarcoat this. They're in a ton of debt. They're paying to equalize prize money out of their own pockets. Losing China is, it's hard to overstate how big of a deal that is. So the WTA moving forward is going to have to accept private equity or venture capital money to continue. Do you have any other comments about this? Uh, Do you want to extrapolate it further 
into explaining mm-hmm. away some of the WTA's decisions, its yeah, behaviors. Well, uh, you can imagine that... So this deal with China until 2028, it's still technically on. So it did uh, inhibit a lot of people placing bids or volunteering for the WTA finals. Uh, there's a lot of income that they were promised that they had planned their budgets over the next few years that is not coming in because they're boycotting China. There's this overture from Saudi Arabia that apparently the WTA has politely rebuffed several times to bring a tournament to Saudi Arabia, which would, of course, promise a ton of money. But how do you compromise the principles that kept you out of China? So this is a really difficult position for the WTA where they took a moral stance. And so are they expected to take that moral stance with all the countries in the world who are violating women's rights? Because that list gets pretty big. Did this scratch that itch for you, the segment? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently only for me. It's just something that I feel like we should be talking about. No, yes, I just find okay. it so dry. Wow. All right. But thank you mm-hmm. for your service. One last bit of tennis business in 2022 before we go is the spate of retirements and evolutions away from tennis. <laughs> Serena Williams, Ash Barty, Andrea Petkovic, Kim Kleisters for a third time, Monica Puig, Laura Robson, Kurumi Nara, Christina McHale, Laura Arrabarena. Ooh, did I say that right? <laughs> I don't know. Aura Barena, Christy Ahn, Cece Bellis, Kirsten Flipkins, Yelena Yankovic makes it official, and Sanya Mirza retires again. I'm sure there are others that we've missed. Thank you for joining us for the 2022 WTA season. Thank you for supporting us through our eighth season doing this podcast. As we mentioned at the top of the show, We've just launched our third GoFundMe to help keep the show going into the future. We didn't mention this at the top, but we have three prize levels that we're running with this. The top prize level you will receive, if you like, a copy of Tom Humberstone's graphic novel entitled Suzanne, which we had him on the show to talk about before. It's been published. If you donate at that level, we will send you a copy. At the mid-level, you have the option, should you so choose, of receiving one of the following items. Of course, you know we have a Redbubble merchandise store. So from that store, you can take your pick of a TBS mug, a hardcover notebook, a coin purse, or TBS coasters. But there is also a bespoke TBS mouse pad that I have designed through another seller using our TBS logos provided by Tom Humberstone. And these mouse pads are some of my favorite things we've ever done. I did a poll on Twitter the other day to find out if people actually still use mouse pads. And I think it was like 45% said yes. <laughs> so I realized this may not be an option or a desire for many of you out there. But if this is something you want, We'll be in touch and I'll send you the designs and you can pick which one you want. There are four designs and uh, I'm looking at one that we have right now and it's literally one of my favorite things. It's bursting with color. (laughs) And then of course, the third tier, 
as always, we will send you a TBS postcard and also bookmarks, which we did last year. New designs. So if you received them last year, you will receive a different set this year. We'll keep the GoFundMe open uh, through the Christmas season and into the new year. We usually close it at the beginning of January. That's a lie. What? We close it at the end of the Australian Open. Really? Yep. Every single oh. time. Both times, that's what we did. Good to know. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> we are coming back with, obviously, an ATP season wrap. More uh, things that you loathe. Most of the things you loathe landed on the ATP yeah, side. Yeah, I feel I'll like there'll be say. a lot of ATP loathing <laughs> this year. <laughs> this is that the was, case every year. That was listener generated. Yeah, that wasn't us. We're going to your your family for Thanksgiving in a couple of days. Yep. So perhaps that would give the travel time will give us time to work on an agenda, and maybe we'll come back to you next week with the ATP wrap. Yep. Whenever you, Davis Cup, I don't even know when Davis Cup starts, but whenever it ends, I don't think we need to wait on Davis Cup <laughs> to put a bow on. Fair enough. Since we did, we gave zero mention of BJK yeah. Cup in this episode, uh, but ATP Cup. You want to do a pop culture episode of some sort, and then that's that's a wrap on 2022. Mm-hmm. We will be doing a Serena episode. Just don't know if it's this year or to start next season. Yes, correct. Um, so maybe one, maybe two more episodes this year. Thank you for listening to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Thank you for all the support over the years. This has been a long episode. If you've stayed till the end, thank you. If you've stayed till the end of season eight, thank you. <laughs> You can find the GoFundMe and everything BodyServe related at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Till next time. Thank you very much.